Hello, this is Megan Liebman, and today we'll be mapping rhodiola on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, healing foods, and herbs that have been used in the most successful practices around the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons, which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the Functional Matrix. The Functional Nutrition Matrix reminds us of three very important factors in clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, we have Megan Liebman back to the mic for our monthly deep dive into a beloved herb. And today we're going to go narrow and deep, as Megan likes to say, and linger a bit in the realm of herbal medicine. Megan, a certified functional nutritionist and lifestyle practitioner, master's in human nutrition and functional medicine, and certified holistic health counselor, works as a guide to help each person cultivate their physiological and spiritual nourishment through her work with botanical medicine, functional nutrition, food, supplemental therapies, and lifestyle modifications. And Megan is one of the lead nutritionists in my clinic and instructors in our programs here at the Functional Nutrition Alliance, and she'll be joining me once a month to share her herbal wisdom, and I'm so excited to have her back. Megan, welcome back to the 15-Minute Matrix. Hi, Andrea. I'm happy to be back. We are continuing to explore herbs, and we chose one for today that allows us to do a little bit of a back it up and zoom out. We're going to be talking about rhodiola today, but before we do, rhodiola is one of our adaptogens. Can you help us understand what this term means Yeah. So one of my favorite definitions of adaptogens that I will build upon, but adaptogens have the ability to help strengthen the whole person from within. So when we think about adaptogens, I like to think about strengthening the individual from within at a cellular level with whom we're working with. And to ground a little deeper on adaptogens, I'd like to share um, a quote and a teaching from one of my favorite teachers, Donald Yance, who I more affectionately call Donnie Yance. Um, And like I said, he's one of my favorite herbal teachers. And he, and I quote, defines adaptogens as nonspecific endocrine regulating, immune modulating effects of certain plants that help humans to maintain what they feel their optimal balance is when faced with physical and emotional stress. Mm. And I just, I really love that definition because he takes this very broad range of beautiful and amazing plants. I mean, in our last episode, we were talking about holy basil, which has a totally different profile 
than rhodiola, but both are within that category of adaptogens. And the way he describes that, I feel just is really grounding. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you brought up Donnie Yance. Donnie Yance is like the herbalist herbalist. His name has been a part of my world for so long now because of the people I've known from before I was even studying nutrition that were studying with Donnie. So I'm so glad you brought him up and we will link to some of his work in the show notes. And that's a beautiful explanation. Before we focus more specifically on rhodiola, what are some of the other herbs that might fall into the category of adaptogens? You mentioned we're talking about rhodiola. Last month, we spoke about holy basil. Ashwagandha falls into this category, doesn't it? Yep. Ginseng, schizandra, reishi has adaptogenic Mm -hmm. effects. I mean, the list of adaptogens is quite broad, but the ones that are my most trusted, the ones I go to the most are typically ginseng, elithrococcus, rhodiola, reishi, uh, ashwagandha, and holy basil. As a practitioner, I like to go narrow and deep with a few herbs as opposed to trying to be the expert of all of the herbs. Mm, such a good point. And even with the within the context of how I work with clients and patients, I have my areas that I go narrow, I can really go narrow and deep with, but I also recognize when I need to seek out or, you know, if someone comes into the clinic, I'll say that's probably a better fit for Sandra. Because I really, it's so important to me to be able to go narrow and deep with the knowledge that I have. I love that you're saying that because I think this is a mistake people make with herbs. It's also a mistake they make with supplements. It's where we get in the X for Y. What's the right thing for that sign, symptom, or diagnosis? And we forget that we have to take this whole body, full body approach. And like you're saying, go narrow and deep into the areas that we can be experts on instead of being an expert at nothing because we know a lot about everything or we're chasing something as a remedy. Okay, let's talk about rhodiola. What can you tell us about this plant? Plant. It is. It is yes, it is a plant. Good, good job, my We're green, talking herbs. My green-thumbed friend. A plant? So it is a plant. When we are talking about rhodiola, we are talking about the rhizome, also known as the root. Um, it's really funny because I, you know, I have collecting herbal tomes or books is one of my favorite things in the world to do. My husband likes to joke that when he moved me for the first time, it was nothing but herbal books and a mattress. Um, (laughs) And the herbal books were heavy. But so, and there was multiple different ideas of where the history or where rhodiola is native to. So I chose one. (laughs) I picked native, that rhodiola is native to the Himalayas and has also been found growing at higher elevations in Asia, Europe, and North America. It likes the Rocky Mountains. It likes higher elevations. And it's not an herb I've ever been successful in cultivating and growing here in the Northwest. (laughs) I will say that. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. It's true about some of the adaptogens that they can survive in unusual circumstances. We kind of live in a more usual circumstance for growing plants, except if they're in my house. Isn't that right? I'm doing actually okay, I should say. You are doing okay. I've been impressed with the (laughs) one that I've been seeing lately. Yes. And you know, I think that's very telling of the plant because what is it doing? It is adapting to its environment. 
a little bit more. It's a perennial with red, pink, or yellow flowers. And one of the things I love, and I have not actually interacted with the raw plant itself as of yet, but from what I've heard, it has a very strong scent like roses do. So of course, that always sparks my interest because rose is one of my absolute most favorite herbs to work with. And yes, we will do a 15-minute matrix episode on rose at some point. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So how was it used historically? So historically, it's mostly been used as a tincture or as an extract. So when we look back, rhodiola was more used as as a tincture. So that what a tincture is, is you're taking a menstruum. So that is either an alcohol or glycerin or honey or vinegar. Those are, you know, four pretty common ones. And the plant is placed into the menstruum. And then that menstruum extracts the constituents within rhodiola into the liquid. The most powerful or the most highly effective menstruum in general for most plants is going to be alcohol, though not always, but for rhodiola in particular, alcohol an alcohol tincture is generally the most effective with a glycerin tincture following close behind it. This sounds like another conversation for another day because I have so many questions about this. So let's come back and talk about these different types of tinctures. But for now, when they were using it, were they using it for any particular ailment or situation? What was discovered that made them put it to use? The actual historical references, I don't have that necessarily. But when I look at the teachers that I've chosen to work with over time, what what brought rhodiola into the realm of helping a body to heal was actually its ability to help with physical endurance work productivity and shortening recovery time, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we know now that if we move into the center portion of the matrix, we can talk about rhodiola supporting the adrenal glands and the thyroid health and being an adaptogen in that way for the hormones. But I think what you're talking about, the uh, endurance and the anti-fatigue and increasing mental performance, particularly abilities to concentrate, like I imagine some of those things, even if they weren't labeled in the ways that we were labeling them now, were Mm -hmm. some of the findings. It's true. And I just, I have to say this as an herbalist, and it's something that I think is so important. And I see people making this mistake all the time. So when we look at something like rhodiola, and today we're going to talk about, we're going to go around the center of the matrix and talk about the many benefits that it can have. But what I think is most important when working with a herb is to pick one, even if someone is struggling with brain fog, struggling with recovery issues after exerting their body, and we'll say sexual enhancement issues. I always like to encourage pick one thing to focus on when working with that herb. And in that, don't forget to bring in the diet and lifestyle interventions to support that optimal balance that Donnie talks about. Because when we're just working with an adaptogen without doing a deeper diet and lifestyle work, it, it won't work. It just doesn't work. 
It brings us back to the three roots, many branches. If we look at the three roots and we think about the genes, digestion, and inflammation as our three roots, and we think about the circle of influence around inflammation, we have to clear, calm, enhance, and modulate. Yes. And what you're talking about is that the, the herbs can help with some of the calming, the enhancing, the modulating at different times, but we still need to clear. And that means we need to really make sure we're taking the things out that could be activating a response that we don't want or like putting salt in the wound. Mm -hmm. We have to bring things in that are going to address nourishment. So it's not one way. In this way, I like to remind people that a functional practitioner can be integrative, meaning we can integrate different modalities. We don't need to just work with essential oils or just work with herbs or just work with diet and lifestyle. We can choose our toolkit, right? You really, really can. And that goes back to that, what I was saying earlier, go narrow and deep. Right. Go and bring your patients into going narrow and deep, especially for folks who are coming in with a myriad of symptoms. You know, take those three roots, look at the tools you have, and go narrow and deep so that people can actually see how they are recovering or how they are improving and how they're healing. I love that we're talking narrow and deep and we're talking about the three roots, right? Because that is narrow and deep if we think mm -hmm. of the many branches that could be occurring. And we're talking about a, a root right now, right? Rhodiola, yes, a plant. Exactly. It's the root. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Making connections here that are also plant-like. So let's get into the center of the matrix, the soup, yeah. if you will. And I'm wondering if we just start in the hormone, neurohormone arena down at the bottom, because that's a lot of what I know rhodiola to be good for depression, insomnia, emotional instabilities, general fatigue, right? Do I have that right? You've got it. Improves memory and concentration. It can help increase attention span. It's recommended for elevating mood and depression specifically, like you mentioned. It's really good with helping to deal with stress. And when we think about stress, we're thinking about both physical and mental, as well as it really improves mental acuity. And I'm going to say it again, memory. I mean, that's one of my favorite things to work with um, rhodiola for is memory, especially for those who are struggling with adrenal stress and the brain fog that comes with that. Really, you can think of rhodiola as essentially starting to kind of tighten things up a little bit so things stay, when they go in your head, they stay put instead of leaking out. <laughs> to move it over to immunity, it's an immune, immunomodulator. It will stimulate immunity directly by increasing your natural killer cells and as well as improving T-cell immunity by increasing the resilience to stress, which compromises immunity. So you get to see those two connections in that center of the matrix going from the uh, neuroendocrine to the immune system. It's actually quite supportive during chemo. This is not an area of expertise. This is not where I go narrow and deep, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. But there are many, many, many studies that show how beneficial and supportive rhodiola is during chemotherapy or radiotherapy. And it also can help to shorten the recovery time from those suppressed white blood cells. Beautiful. I'm actually going to point to our podcast with Dr. Nalini Chilkov here because I know mm -hmm. Dr. Nalini has also studied quite a bit 
with Donnie Ant. So um, we'll link to her podcast with us in the show notes as we're talking about working with chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. I want to just go back to the structural integrity since we're taken around here and ask a question. You know, I have so many notes from so much research too. And regarding rhodiola and excitotoxins, my understanding is that rhodiola helps with some of the damage to the cells via the cell membrane effects that can happen because of excitotoxins, including cortisol. So excesses of these hormones circulating in the system could have an impact on the cell membranes. And rhodiola is shown to have some help there. I think there's a few studies that I have access to that we can also link in the show notes. That would be wonderful. And that also makes me think of of its antioxidant Mm. activities. Mm -hmm. It has quite profound antioxidant activities as it increases that intracellular oxygen. I think I'm saying it right. The intracellular oxygen diffusion as well as oxygen oxygen utilization, which is what helps to reduce oxidative damage in the cells as well. So fascinating. Anything else that we could think of it for in the center of the matrix that you know you'd typically be thinking of it for? I know in general herbs have like myriad effects at once, which is one yeah. of the benefits. It does. It's it's um, great for reducing chronic inflammation. There's a lot of studies that have been shown for it lowering C-reactive proteins levels. It's a cardioprotective adaptogen. So that's another one. So if you have someone that you're working with with any cardiac issues, rhodiola is one that can be of big benefit as well. Those are some of my, there's so many more in all honesty, but those are my first, those are my favorite ones to really focus in on. And if we go over to the right side of the matrix in terms of what our tools would be for different arenas, would you be using it for support with sleep and relaxation in some individuals? Clearly relaxation, stress and resilience, those are the things that we're talking about here. Sleep can be a little controversial. I know you and I were chatting before. I do believe that there is some research that shows that rhodiola can decrease elevated nighttime cortisol. So again, that excitotoxin response can be brought down. This is one of those beautiful adaptogenic things. Like in the daytime, it's helping us to mitigate fatigue, but at nighttime, it can help to reduce that elevated cortisol if there's a big spike there. Not all people, all people, how would you be thinking about rhodiola for sleep relaxation? You'll agree with me on this. I never think all people for anything. Yeah. Good. Um, <laughs> Bravo. Good girl. Good student. A+. And with rhodiola in particular, yes, it can, you know, drastically improve sleep. But for people who are really, really struggling with anxiety and their insomnia is the at the root of their insomnia is anxiety, rhodiola is actually something that I do not recommend mm. for them because it can stimulate their anxiety levels, Mm -hmm. which that is the opposite of what we want to do. I do want to say too, I never use rhodiola by itself. It is never an herb I use as a single extract. I am always combining it with something. So I've I've worked with many people who have come in just taking a rhodiola extract of some kind, either in the pill form 
or in a tincture. And just the very nature of rhodiola being the energetics of rhodiola are quite cooling, drying, and slightly constricting. And while that might be fine for somebody who has the opposite, who is, you know, warming and moist and, you know, more, what's the opposite of constricting? Expansive. (laughs) Um, Expansive. Yes. Thank you. That, you know, that I would be less concerned, but in general, I like to combine rhodiola with either schizandra, ginger, or turmeric you know, due to its its astringent nature. We just, as humans, we don't want to be taking things that are so astringent without bringing in some balance with those. So that is a big thing. So if someone is struggling with sleep and you just bring in rhodiola, a way to calm that down if it's not working for them would be to bring in something like schizandra or ginger. Mm, nice. So let's talk about usage. I know that there are different ways to use herbs and Again, we tend to all look for the quick fix and run for the solution. If I look to the resources that I have, different functional medicine or integrative medicine resources, the dosing that is spoken about is around 200 to 600 milligrams twice a day. That would be in a likely powdered pill form. And I know you have opinions about powders and pills when it comes to herbs. Can you talk to us about that for rhodiola? Yes. And, and, you know, I'm probably there. This is not a popular opinion. I'm just going to say it out loud. But I am very much a purist. You know, I've been studying herbs and working with herbal medicine for almost 16 years now. And, you know, many of my teachers and the people that I've been studying or studying with for all of those years talk about how important it is to actually work with an alcohol extract with rhodiola. As many of the powders, the herbs that are used for that mass production, they just aren't as strong. You know, when I think about how many people have come in taking you know, a powdered combo of an adaptogen and they're just not, it's just not working for them or they're just not feeling better on it. Oftentimes when you shift them over, it can be the same combination of herbs, but in a tincture form, oftentimes that will move the needle for their improvement. So like I said, I'm a purist when it comes to rhodiola and really processing and looking at getting the most out of those constituents, um, especially the, uh, and I, I have a hard time saying this word, but the salidroside, which is a constituent that contains many subconstituents that are what we're looking for when we're working with the plant. Those constituents are most absorbed via a tincture. That's so interesting. And again, there's so much I want to do a little side conversation with you on in the tinctures and the alcohol. I know people have reservations about the alcohol and that can be a conversation for a different day. You talked about the solidrosides. And again, I don't know if I'm saying them right. I know that that's a constituent of why rhodiola works for us. The other one are the rosavins. Rosavins, you got it. So those two are some of the, what are those constituents that make them active? So the rosavins are a group of phenylpropanoids Mm. that are specifically unique to rhodiola. And, 
you know, they include the rosefin, the rosin, the rosarin, and something called tirasol. And then the active substance, the other active substance in rhodiola are the salidrosides, the rosin, the rosevin, and the ones that I just said. And these active compounds are what actually provide, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm saying this right, but they provide the most effect for the central nervous system by mm. increasing the ability to concentrate and enhancing both that mental and physical, essentially, power. Great. Awesome. And if we are saying any of these wrong <laughs> in terms of how to pronounce them, I'm sure we can all go Google the word. <laughs> yes. Okay. So we're talking about rhodiola, what it does, where it came from, how it could be used, what to combine it with. Let's just look a little bit at how we would bring it in, not just in what form, but like when in the day, who's it for, who's it not for, so we can think about putting it to use. Yeah. So I always like to recommend that if you're taking an herbal, you're taking it one to three times per day. With a combo that includes rhodiola, I do recommend taking it in the morning and then the mid-afternoon. I just am very sensitive to people's sleep, even those who are struggling with sleep. So I like to take more of a cautionary approach if that is something that is a struggle. There might be some trauma from my own stuff in there, but it's, <laughs> it's to me, that's been the most effective. And then I do avoid it in pregnancy. This is not a popular opinion also, but, you know, Aviva Ram, one of my uh, teachers, if she doesn't trust adaptogens in pregnancy, I don't either, in all honesty. Like she was a midwife for many years and there's just not enough data to show its safety in pregnancy. So I avoid adaptogens in pregnancy. And the only other thing that I wanted to just circle back to in our who is what you talked about with the dryness and the dampness. And that, of course, mm -hmm. isn't always language that is familiar to people because right. we don't in Western medicine think as much about dampness or dryness. So what, what does that mean? And what should we be looking for if we're bringing it in and it's exacerbating a dry situation? Yeah. So if you're working with somebody and they have very dry skin, you know, or really dry flaky eczema, rhodiola is likely something you might want to hold off on. Or if you do use it, make sure you know how to combine it with a warming and moistening herb. Like you said, sure. the ginger. Yes, or turmeric mm -hmm. is another good one, or shizandra. Okay. Those are the three that I like to work with the most. Okay. But yeah, just looking at the pattern, like are, are, are some are somebody's lips really dry? Mm -hmm. And of course, this is where being in partnership and relationship with the client is so important because sometimes during the winter, we are going to head more into a drier state. So during the winter time, that might not be the time to bring in a high dose rhodiola, whereas during the summertime when things are more moist for that individual, that may be a time to, to see and work with it. So it's just being dynamic. This is being dynamic with all things, food, herbs, supplements, just being in a fluid relationship with them so that you can be really working with the individual is just, I can't say it enough how important it is. Yeah, I can't say it enough either. And I say it every day in a new way. <laughs> um, so kids, kids okay or not okay? You know, rhodiola isn't always the first thing I go to for kids. If I have a kiddo that is really struggling with ADHD, it might be something that as opposed to working with a high dose tincture, 
I might put in, use it more as like an essence. So instead of a full dropper, using it more like three to four little drops into some water and that can kind of help to focus um, focus and contain that energy. But so for younger kids, I don't, I haven't really brought it in with children under, under eight, but children older, older than that, depend, you know, as the age grow or as the age increases, the drops increase is kind of how I look like to work with it. And final question, Megan, anything else that we didn't touch on about rhodiola that you wish others would know? I think this is a good start. You know, the biggest, most important thing is to remember that adaptogens cannot work without that deeper diet and lifestyle work. And I can't say it enough. You got to pair, pair everything together. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Megan. So much fun to talk to you and to learn from you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's always a joy to be with you. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. Check out the latest in functional nutrition at functionalnutritionlab.com forward slash blog. The 15-Minute Matrix is produced, mixed, and edited by Rowan Bradley with production support from Natalie Merrill and the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode by email, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. Plus, we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch. Let us know your thoughts, your feedback, and who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. You can email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.